That's what I saw. <laughs> That's why I mentioned it. <laughs> Look, it's the same I'm, game, man. I'm, Everywhere. I'm, 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 I'm sorry for him. I cannot do any PR work for it. He's getting it from mainstream media. I'm, I'm, <laughs> but he's he's very cosmetic about it. But also, obviously, he's a politician. He understands that um, ultimately, um, in a fair political playing field, he's he, he he's supposed to get his mandate from 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 the voters and, and not from the from the shareholders of these white monopoly ca uh, capital companies. He understands that. So it, for him, it, 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 he's very calculative, you know. Mm. It depends on where he is. Uh, if, if, if he's in a rally where there's predominantly black people, he'll say, you know, all the nice things uh, about that the black people want to hear. And I would make sure that we redistribute the land, blah, blah, and it's done. Then the next thing is going, you see him in Cape Town, there's a conference venue, expensive hotel there, or he's, he's, he's seeing a different show. He's saying, uh, we have a mandate to, to ensure that we um, protect investor confidence. What is investor confidence? Like, well, what does the normal general black person on the street know about investor confidence? Who are these investors that you so invested in more than they do in him? You know, so it's, it's, it's just cosmetic for him. But I, I say so because there is no history or case in point in history where one can point and say, um, this was Cyril Ramaphosa here uh, fighting a good fight for black empowerment or fighting a, a good fight for, for redistribution of land. In historically, there is no case in point. You know, he's, he's always been that guy. Um, that um, he has served the interest of, of the white monopoly capital. And that's precisely what he's doing. So when he talks about land, he's, he's just saying it for vibes. It's, so, it's, he doesn't mean it. We, we know his constituency that he cares about the most. It's not the black people. It's, it's definitely the people that you know, um, uh, are responsible for his rise to power and, 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 and how he has managed to amass wealth. When the, black, when the average black person is getting poorer by the day. Well, in neighboring country, Zimbabwe, I believe, was it, is it mm. Mugabe who was the president there that took the farmland from the whites and gave it to the blacks? Yes. And it, it, the reports I read is it turned into a disaster and they were asking for the white farmers to come back or... And Nigeria, I believe, was offering the white farmers land in Nigeria. So is it a simple? What I want to get from you is how should, what should land redistribution look like? Because attempts to redistribute land, for whatever reason, right there in neighboring Zimbabwe, I mean, Mugabe was a tough old bird, man. He didn't play. He did, he did what uh, everyone says should be done, and it didn't work. So how can it be done in a way that it works for everyone? Because should, should we just take the land back from the, the, the Boas and whoever else, the Europeans who've had it for generations and give them nothing? Should they be paid a, a set price so they can move on? How do you redistribute? It sounds good. See, for me, right, the talk of revolution can sometimes go off into the idealistic. It, it, it goes away from the practical. These are all great ideas. How do we implement them? Um, yeah, great question. I, I mean, for me personally, the land and an ideal land redistribution program, unfortunately, countries like Nigeria and, 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 and um, Rhodesia, which is now Zimbabwe, they, they went through that. Um, uh, that path. And, and I think there's, it's good that it, it ended up the way that it did because then we've got a case that we can refer to and, and refer to certain things that we, we shouldn't adopt when we when we, we address this question. You know, the, the land question is a very, very emotive issue, but then we have to be rational in how we, we approach it, right? We, if we say we need Black people to have access or to have ownership of, of productive land, right? Um, then it should be that um, the duty of the government of the day or 
whichever uh, organization is involved in, in that process is to identify black people that have got the expertise to uh, ensure, I mean, to, to ensure a beneficiation from ownership of, of the land. Like I'm, I'm not going to advocate for, you know, um, parceling out of productive land to, to a guy who's basically interested being an Uber driver and is is for him, you know, farm work, it's, it's not what he's, he's, he's looking for. That's a waste. It's, you're not achieving anything there at the end of the day. Identify people and also like uh, land also, it's, it's not only um, agricultural land, um, you know, obviously there is mining, um, there's there's um, uh, housing purposes, game farms. So there's so much thing that can be done. But then for productive, let me say, commercial land on a commercial scale, because that's the biggest. That's where most production happens. Then identify people that have got the necessary expertise to uh, work on that land for to work the land. And then at a subsistence level, there, there is land that needs to be made available purely for um, uh residential purposes for people to 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 build their homes you know that's 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 a subs more subsistence it's not really commercial it's not going to to add value to the fiscals but it's necessary because you you then have to look back at at, at how land was repossessed from from black people and 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 how we've got what we call townships how it was developed you know people were moved like i'm sure you've heard of soweto it's, it's a popular township in 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 south africa and basically soweto means uh southwestern townships and 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 the reason why it, it was it's a create wasn't the creation of, of of black people it was a creation of, of of white people they needed to have black people concentrated in a particular area where they would have ease of access to industrial areas and manufacturing areas and mines to work for the white person. So really, we those people that are cramped there in townships, um, they need to, if we repossess land, then, you know, people need to be given the option to say, you can move to this area and build your own home. That's on a more subsistence level. We've dealt, we've dealt with the commission where we're saying, we're looking at expertise. If you've got expertise in this, if you don't have, then we have to groom people. Let's play the long game. You know, let's not just, you know, let's do exactly what the white man has done. They play the long game. They prepared long enough, you know, um so we have to be let's... patient though we are an impatient people yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know we have to but... understand that it may not happen in our generation but it would benefit yes. our children and our grandchildren exactly you understand exactly. Yeah. yeah yeah that, that that's how we should approach it i mean with with we have to be honest with ourselves about about how we approach this. Like you've put it, it's 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 most likely it's not going to to happen in the in this generation. It might, but um, at least we can set the foundation for the for the for the next generation, so that you know some of these imbalances are addressed. You know, but also we have to realize that what is the attitude of white people towards this this land? issue and i think it's that's why it's making more people lose all their rationality and, and become emotional about it and want it to be done as soon as yesterday it's because they are not welcoming to 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 the very idea of, of land redistribution you know uh people get asked condescending questions like uh, so what are you gonna do about the land that's how you know it's almost like there's nothing a black person can do about the land or they'll say look at what happened to to Zimbabwe or Nigeria, this is not going to work. But no, it, it can work if, if it's implemented, um, um, I mean, correctly in a way that that has got clear uh, goals that need to be achieved. And in countries like Zimbabwe also, you know, it, I think it's it's a lie that that's being sold or pegged that it was a total failure. It, it, it um, became a failure to a certain degree um, because then obviously we live in a global community, right? So now, as soon as that land or agrarian uh, process uh, happened, we had international uh, lobby groups and, and governments like the US, you know, they were imposing economic sanctions on, on, on um, 
countries like Zimbabwe. So you, you cannot trade on certain things. So even if you produce um, your tobacco, Zimbabwe was the biggest tobacco producer in Africa at the time, exporter, you know, you cannot export to certain countries because you're facing these economic sanctions. So that's deliberate sabotage. So mm. if, 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 if all those sanctions were not put in place, um, there are people who managed to get farms, commercial farms, productive land that would have still prospered and, and have the whole nation prosper. But there was a, a deliberate ploy by the, the forces that control the global economic power to frustrate that so that it becomes a total failure. And then it becomes a case that actually, now that we talk about it, I realize that this, this has been deliberately created to be a case study uh, that then the white men can refer to um, and, and, and say, this is never going to work because it didn't work there. But why did it not work there? It's not purely because the black person did it the wrong way. No, it's because of what happened after the land um, redistribution process, deliberate imposition of economic sanctions and, 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 and all stuff. And, and so I know this. I know this, what I'm about to say is gonna be unpopular with a lot of people in South Africa, but should the white landowners be compensated for the land that's taken from them? Or have they gotten enough compensation already? What do you think? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, well, well, maybe, maybe, maybe we should start it. Uh, should the, the white people in South Africa that own the means of production or that own land compensate the black people that they took the land away from, you know? Um, we could ask that question, but obviously yeah, it's, 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 it's going to be an ongoing wrong. But I, I feel like obviously for, for, for some white people uh, that own land, um, they've done developments on the land, right? So, I mean, there's developments that have been done there. So I think to, to a certain degree, uh, it will be a matter of, uh, I don't know, some agreement needs to be made because I mean, obviously it's, it's a means of production. They, they, are, they are citizens by nature now. You, you cannot really say uh, we're kicking out all white people, they must go away. No, they've, they, 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 they still contribute to the economy. Um, they own these pieces of land that they own. So if ever it happens that, you know, um, there is some agreement that's made by the stakeholders in terms of compensation and, and, and so forth, then it, it, it will have to, <clears throat> to happen. Um, I know most people really will be like, no, there's not a chance, you know, they need to go with taking back our land. But, you know, we, we have to be rational also in the global community that we, we live in. Uh, so I think to a certain degree, some compensation of some sort. I don't know what the conditions could be that could be attached to that. Um, That's a start, though, because like you said, yeah, yes, exactly. people who That's... Think, they think they shouldn't get anything. And that's just going yeah. to create more problems down the road yeah. internationally. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So this, this, the taking away of land and kicking them out, you know, without any form of compensation, I think that's a last resort. Um, what uh, proponents or the government uh, or any other pressure groups that are driving for land redistribution should be concerned with right now is, is exactly what you've asked. Uh, what, what happens to the white person that, that owns a farm? Um, if you take the farm away from them, what happens? Do you have a plan for that? Because there should be a plan. And, 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 and it has to be a plan, obviously, that uh, respects human rights and, 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 um, and, and um, the economy and so forth. But also, it's the role of the South African parliament, because the parliament is the one that makes laws. So if, if the parliament creates a law in the legislature that says, um, all white owned uh, farms are now going to be take away, taken away. There's no compensation that's going to be given. Then, then it's law. That's how apartheid came into being. That's how black people lost their land. That's how black people lost the means of production. It was because of apartheid laws, which segregated black people. So there was a legal standing to stand on to say, we're not going to 
to to to compensate black people that stay here because we've moved them we're just going to move them to this area that we want them to be in it was law so i think this is this is a reserve of the of of the really of the south african parliament if it passes a law that says um, there has to be compensation then that's going to be the law of of, of the day that um they will they obviously they will have to be guidelines on on on, on determination of compensation and so forth but if then the law of the day says um there has to be compensation then it, it will have to happen otherwise anything else will be you know illegality of some sort and 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 if the law says there is no compensation that's going to happen then any person who owns a farm right now and is asked to leave their farm and they refuse and they want compensation then they'll be breaking the law so the south african parliament is the one that really needs to um, come up with the law because it's it's a critical component of our democracy in in south africa we've got the judiciary and and which, which interprets the laws but the laws are created in in the legislature which which is the um, the parliament so right now the parliament is is focused on some section on land redistribution which i feel like they're just you know doing it for fun they're not really it, it doesn't really address the core needs of, of black people. It, it's, it's not touching anything on compensation. It's not even looking at the critical matters that are unnecessary in so far as land redistribution is concerned. So until in such a time that the parliament adopts a clear policy and, and comes up with an act of law that gives direction, because ultimately that's the law that's going to give direction to how the, the land process is going to I mean, the land redistribution process is going to be implemented. It's, it's the law that's going to direct that. Anything else outside the scope of law, uh, it might lend someone in, 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 uh, into uh, prison without trial, like we're seeing nowadays. That's mm -hmm. the attitude that the government is adopting towards anyone who's a dissenting voice, towards anyone who's standing against uh, white monopoly capital towards anyone who's standing against the establishment of the day. So we're going to see more of that because to be honest, um, the situation in South Africa, as beautiful as the country is, is such that the majority black people are poor. And the answer to addressing the poverty and inequalities in South Africa lies in land ownership it lies in ownership of means of production. And, and in order for that um, to be addressed, uh, the government through parliament needs to take a leading role and provide a direction. But ultimately, you know, it's, it's the masses that will determine uh, the course of this as the years go by, because the parliament does not appoint itself. You still have to go to the electorate to have yourself voted. And people will vote for you based on what you sell to them on your manifestos. And more and more people are realizing that uh, this ANC is not really saving our interests. Unfortunately, there is no real alternative then, because most people say, okay, if not the ANC, then who? <laughs> but let me ask you this, Yusa. I've heard white Afrikaners say that the, the more well-known Black South Africans the Zulus and the Hosas and everyone else, that they're not original to the land, that they displaced uh, what's called the, the Bushmen. I, I, I don't, uh, Hottentots, I think that's a derogatory term, but they say that the current Blacks in South Africa, they aren't original to that land either. They came there and they displaced people. So I, I think they use that to justify their current ownership like they simply did to you guys which y'all did to others what are your thoughts on that uh yes that's that's just meant to 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 sidetrack people from the <laughs> from the ultimate goal i mean history has its own record right before before the borders were drawn and and all that stuff uh people moved from area to area we had what we called uh, hunters and gatherers, you know, mm -hmm. uh, people survived on hunting and gathering fruits and, 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 and all that stuff. So there was no borders really. So people moved uh, from one area to, to, to another. There was no borders at all. So now what is now known as Africa 
which um, is actually a product of the Africa we know today was born out of a conference in Berlin, Germany, that was in 1884 to 1885, where European powers decided to sit in Berlin and decide on how they're going to partition Africa amongst themselves. So now this, this, this white people that then say that um, Zulus and Kosas uh, are not original to the land that is South Africa, they're really telling a, a, a lie because these are the people these same white people that uh, push this narrative, they, they are products of the Berlin Conference, which led to, 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 to the Africa that we have today, where the hardware component of Africa, it's yes, is black, but the software is still in Europe. The operating system is in Europe, that's where it is. So they are perpetuating that line. Um, if in Southern Africa, that's where South Africa is and a couple of other countries, the region of Africa, Yes, there is the people that are called the, um, they're called the Koi Koi. Koi um, Koi, there you go. Yes. yes. So, so now the groups of Africans that ended up this way, like I said, they were, that's how it always been all over. Like it was movements, there was no limits, there was no borders. You know, you could move from one area to another. There was no displacement of, 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 of the Koi, of the Koi person, not at all. The Koi, I mean, Black people, um, um, I would say, um, they lived side by side with with with, with the Khoi Khoi. And I'll give you examples: the 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 Zulu language uh, or Tosa language. There is a click sound to the language. Where's that about cues and, and and stuff? Those click sounds um, they are borrowed from from the from the Khoisan language because that's where you've got the most click sounds. It shows an amalgamation of cultures and people that live side by side. So that's why even if you go into history, you'll never find a scenario where there was a battle between Zolo and, 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 and Khoisan people. That wasn't there. It was an amalgamation of cultures. Basically what was happening also, obviously you had people that would emerge as, as, as um, powerful like King Shara. But now what they will do, the more powerful kings, you know, the way that you grow your, your nation is by amalgamating other people into your nation so that you build a bigger, because uh, the, the more people you have, the more you have uh, ammunition you have. So there was the never- more warriors you have. Exactly. So there was never displacement uh, of, of, um, of the Khoisan. It's, it's, it's just an ugly lie and, and it's, it's, it's very bad because it's coming from people who are who are actually descendants of the likes of his Yekla and Bismarck and all those guys that have got that yet, you know, um, a bad attitude towards Africa as well. So it should also be understood that um, Africa in its creation by the colonial powers, um, it was never meant to be a self-determining territory. The, the main reason why Africa was partitioned into what it is now, it was for economic reasons. It was for so that Europeans do not end up clashing with each other and fighting over the resources that are in Africa. It, it was precisely for that, that you, Britain, you're going to focus on that area. We're not going to interfere. You, France, you're going to focus on that area. Um, that's why up to, day, up to today, there are some countries, African countries that are paying colonial checks to France. To this day, as independent as they are, they are paying colonial checks to France. To this day, with almost all African countries are independent, but um, you realize that the, the, the colonizers, the British at most and the French, those are the main countries that uh, got the, the better part of, of Africa and, and Belgium and so forth, they still have um, direct control of, of, of the economy through their multinationals. And, 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 and through their, um, what they do now, they've devised a strategy where uh, obviously they've got, we've got the credit rating agencies, agencies which are like Moody's global agencies. So now, you know, they always look at the country's credit record and how a country is performing and downgrade it or whatever they do. But now what they do is, is you know, uh, for as long as, a government is allowing a sentiment of, of revolution to progress. They downgrade the country and then it's now, you know, 
it's high risk to invest for investors. And then you've got um, organizations like the International Monetary Fund. You know, almost all African countries are servicing monetary IMF debt. You know, they have to repay that debt. But now, and, and we've got these African presidents and governments that keep on running back to IMF for loans, financial loans. And these loans come with conditions. Part of the conditions is you have to ensure that um, the environment is conducive for, for investors. You know, they, they give you guidelines, a blueprint based on how you must run your government indirectly, you're not in control. But because you've taken their money, you just have to follow what they have to say because they've got means. They play the long game. They know what they can do um, if you do not honor your obligations. And, 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 and that's what's happening in, in most of, of, of African countries. We saw in, um, I think it's the year 2012 or 2011, we had um, in Libya, Colonel Gaddafi was, was, was killed and, and, and Barack Obama was very instrumental in the death of, of Muammar Gaddafi. Very bad, very bad guy, uh, Barack Obama. Uh, I don't know your feelings about him, but very bad guy. Um, like, and, and, and if you look at, at Libya, why, why was Muammar Gaddafi eventually uh, killed? Right. There's a couple of things that were happening in just in Libya whilst he was the, the president, right? He he built the world's biggest man-made river system, right? That ensured that there's free water uh, for everyone in, in, in Libya. He ensured that anyone who was interested in, in running an, an agricultural business, agribusiness, is given land in Libya and is supported by the government. He ensures that there is free electricity for every household in, 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 in Libya, right? He ensures that there is free education up to university level in Libya. And if you could not find a course that you want to do in any of the Libyan universities, then you can do it abroad and the Libyan government will take care of the costs, right? He ensures that the, 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 the price for gasoline um, uh, it was the lowest in the world, like 14 cents per liter or something like that, right? And, and at the time of, 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 of his death, you know, he was pushing for, for, for a currency, an African currency monetary system, also it's called the gold diner, that would make ensure that then no African country is going to rely on IMF and the World Bank for, for loans, you know, self-sustainable. He ensured that- Stop right if you there. One second, let me interject. From mm. my readings, he had also amassed the seventh largest gold reserves in the world to back that currency that you're talking yes. about. And we don't know where that gold is right now. <laughs> well, we, really we do, but carry on, sir. <laughs> okay, look. <laughs> yeah, so um, I, I, I know you're very big. I've been following you a lot. I know you're very big on, 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 on a strong family structure in, in yes. patriarchy, right? Yeah. He was big on that, right? Now for newlyweds, you know, you, 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 you get married, newlyweds, you've had your wedding. He would give an incentive some some capital for you and your wife to go and start a new life, right? Um, if he ensures that home ownership, um, it's like it's you almost everyone has got access to land to build their own home. Not what we're seeing happening here, where all the land is being owned by private property companies that build. Uh, complexes and housing units that they rent out at exorbitant prices and 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 you know they package the apartments so well that they call them you know um what do they call them high-end posh living apartment and so forth i mean and then you pay a premium symbols, more symbols <laughs> status symbols yes <laughs> yeah all the status symbols you know because they know they know pushing consumerism right so and 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 also also um um during uh, Gaddafi's time, Libya was part of the oil producing nations OPEC. So OPEC has always been at loggerheads with the U United States in terms of who controls uh, the price of all oil globally. And if you look at the countries that were part of OPEC, right? We had Libya, uh, Afghanistan, Iraq, and so forth. These are all countries that one way or the other, the USA government has yet direct confrontation with, with 
uh, in most cases, military confrontation. Um, in countries where there hasn't been military uh, confrontation, uh, we have seen the, the US government, um, you know, play a role of, 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 of fueling um, civil wars so that there's instability. So once there's instability, it gives, uh, you know, the powers that be the opportunity to, to, to amass wealth in there. Um, in, in South Sudan, which is actually Africa's newest country, there's 55 countries in, in Africa, uh, and, and Sudan was born in, in, in 2011. It was part of, a, of Sudan, um, and then obviously it was broken into two now, there's South Sudan, and then there's North Sudan, um, which on its own, you look at, the, at those two countries, South Sudan and North Sudan, it's, it's a recipe for disaster on its own, because one, uh, South Sudan has is, is got rich oil reserves, but then North Sudan has got the infrastructure, logistics infrastructure, even underground for, for, for oil transportation. So you've got these constant fights and the U.S. took a decision um, to, to be um, on the side of South Sudan when that independence happened. And at the time, I mean, even prior to that, Barack Obama, when he was still senator, before he became president, he was uh, part of a group, of a lobby group, you know, that was on the side of, of, of South Sudan. So fueling those civil wars, you know, to basically divide in, 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 in Congo. So we see that happening all over the world, um, where the powers that be Europe and, and, and the USA, they, they use their powers to ensure that Africa, you know, remains in, in that perpetual mode of, of dependency on, on, um, on, on the IMF, uh, on the USA, on, on Europe. And then there's this culture of aid, where there's lots of aid. I'm sure you've seen in, in, in lots of publications or news where there's aid, being food aid, being sent to African countries and so forth. But then you ask yourself, I mean, uh, that's not sustainable at all. Yes, the immediate need might be because people need food or facing starvation for one reason or another. But then the, the primary goal is that if, these people owned the means of production. Surely they wouldn't be starving as you, you, you make it seem to be. So now the, the policy of, of aid is being used to, to make people, you know, um, controllable, uh, dependent, dependent, exactly controllable. Exactly. Yes. And, the, and, and then now we've got China. China in recent years has also entered the fray. You know, it's, it's, it's now fighting with the, with the USA for domination and control of Africa. It's, it's very bad also what China is doing, you know. Um, they're making sure that they're making their, their, uh, their position felt in Africa. They, they own lots. Now they've, you know, they're not building ports. They're they, they installing intelligence system. They own mines. In some African countries already, like Zambia, we've got some, you know, state-owned publications being written in Mandarin and so forth. Um, you know, it's it's it, it it's always that constant um, attack on the African body and 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 the need to dominate Africa. I mean, by all means necessary. Look at a country like the Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, I'm sure you know about Patrice, Lu, uh, Patrice Lumumba, he was, he was assassinated. He was a very vocal revolutionary person. He was assassinated in Lubumbashi. Now, the DRC is the world's biggest supply of cobalt, right? More than 80% of world's cobalt supply is from the DRC. Cobalt is used in the manufacture of, of these electronic vehicle batteries. It's, it's used in the manufacture of electronic devices. Um, so all these companies like Google, Nokia, all, all in this iPhone and, and so forth, Apple, you know, they, they all using cobalt. It's coming through from the DRC, you know. But now this country is still the poorest country in the world with all the immense riches that is called cobalt and so forth and diamonds and gold. It's the poorest country in the world. Right What's, now, as it stands, China is the main player in that field there. Uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo was once known as Zaire, correct? Yes, that's correct. And, and Mobutu, he took over after Patrice Lumumba. Mm. And Mobutu 
he allowed the rape and pillage of his country. So do we blame the, the people outside of Africa or do we blame the African leaders and people who are complicit, who facilitate this level of exploitation? Who, who because I, this is my personal opinion, mm. right? If my neighbor steals from me, he's a bad neighbor. But if my brother plots with my neighbor to come into my house and he leaves the door open, my brother is worse than the neighbor, you see? Because I expect anything from my neighbor, but my family, that is a higher level of treason in my eye. You know, and, and I, I see these stories play out all over the world. It's not just Africa, it's in Asia too. It's all mm -hmm. over the world. It's part of being subjugated. You see, when, when a country is subjugated, you have the downtrodden, the people that the foot is on their neck. And there's allowed to be a, an elite class in that group, whether it be in Iraq, Asia, Africa. It's the same. It's not just an African problem. I don't like when we beat up on ourselves too much because it goes on all over the world. This is the structure of oppression and domination. You put in place a puppet class of people who do your bidding and they give a good presentation. They give the people on the bottom something to feel good about. So this is what Mobutu did. This is what it sounds like Mandela did. This is what a lot of people do all over the world. My thing is, where do we start to make the change? Because I expect my open enemy to work against me. How do we how do we deal with the traders in our midst? In South Africa, let's bring it back to South Africa. I remember they had the, the thing about necklaces. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they put the, get the tires full of gasoline and light it around. They dealt with collaborators like that. I, Winnie Mandela got in a lot of trouble over a 14 year old boy who was a collaborator allegedly, or maybe he was, that was dealt with like that. Until, and this is not just South Africa, until people who betray us understand there are swift, severe consequences for that betrayal, it will continue on. And people like you and I, who have a certain, you know, intellectual and academic understanding of what transpired, how it transpired, we'll be having these conversations because there's a lack of fear for betraying black people. And, I, and, 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 and that is at the core of it. And, and whether we like it or not, again, I'm not an advocate of violence, but man, violence is a universal language, you know? Love is different things to different people, but fear is the same thing to everyone. So I always trust in fear. Now, 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 now I want to ask you, sir, about, I, the, of course, COVID-19. We can't end the interview without discussing mm -hmm. how COVID has touched South Africa. I imagine it has done the same, maybe even worse than what it's done over here. It has limited opportunities and options for a lot of people. And I, is it contributing to a lot of the internal strife that's now coming to rise. Also, the vaccine. And there was mm, a lot of yeah. problems with the AstraZeneca vaccine in South yeah. Africa. Please, sir, <laughs> the floor is yours. So, so I'm going to start with uh, briefly with the vaccine part of it. Obviously, there's, there's, there's different um, vaccine manufacturers. There's Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, um, AstraZeneca, there's the Nigeria, um, I mean, Russian one, the Sputnik, Sputnik one, and yes. then there's, yeah, then there's Sinopharm from China and so forth. Um, I mean, the, the South African government hasn't been really transparent in, in, in so far as um, it, it, in, in terms of what informs its procurement decisions for a particular vaccine. Um, 
but uh, what is very clear is that there is a preference towards um, Johnson and Johnson. There is a preference towards Pfizer now. Those are the two that are preferred. And, and there's a reason for that. And the reason for that is not the, the efficacy of, of, of that particular, of those particular vaccines, but it's about the relationships that influential government people have um, with the owners of these pharmaceutical companies, right? So um, Johnson & Johnson in South Africa, there is a plant, there's a company called, um, that, that manufactures uh, vaccines uh, or, or pharma products, even for export, it's called Aspen Pharmacare. It's always been there. Um, Aspen Pharmacare now has got a contract with Johnson & Johnson to manufacture vac vaccines for, for South Africa and the African region at large, right? Now, within Aspen Pharmacare, there are people that are in government, the ministers, the influential people, they are shareholders of Aspen Pharmacare. So it is their natural disposition to ensure that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is the one that, um, that um, actually gets um, rolled out the most. Uh, that is purely for financial reasons. And, 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 and that's what people need to understand that first things first, uh, pharma companies, they are not philanthropic organizations. They are business companies. They, they, profit is what drives them. That's a fact. Um, and then obviously now these, 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 uh, Pfizer is also another preferred one. Obviously these relationships that powerful people have with these pharma companies that the originals, the, the I mean, general citizen doesn't know about. There were problems with the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine um, which is also, you know, a sign of of of, um, of of how incompetent the government can be. That you can go to the extent of importing a vaccine from um, from India. It arrives at the international airport, Oliver Tambo Airport. The the president and his entourage they go there to the airport to welcome vaccines, um, and and they even inspect them in the they are convinced that this is the one. And a week later, then you're told that this vaccine is about to expire, it cannot be used anymore. <laughs> so up to this day, the government is not transparent. They cannot say where that vaccine is, what happened to it. Cause I mean, no country will take that vaccine. It's indeed expired. So someone, a powerful someone is, is, is getting enough money right now because it's stored somewhere. And eventually someone will have to destroy it. And if it gets destroyed, someone needs to, is going to earn lots of money from, from that uh, job. And it's definitely not going to be a black person that's going to get the job to destroy those vaccines at all. And, and, and if those vaccines have been sold or given to another African country, it's, it, it's just going to be a secret because no sane uh, person would want to take expired vaccines in. But then in Africa, anything is possible. You know, the, you know, sometimes human life, black life is not valued. They, they are willing collaborators who want to work with the system, who don't care about their fellow black people. So they hold in mind taking that vaccine and giving it to people even if it has expired. You know, that's that's the problem that we have with, with the vaccine. So basically the vaccine procurement and supply chain. It's a perpetuation of what we spoke about earlier when we spoke about who owns the means of production, who controls the economy. Uh, black people are not playing any key role in the procurement and, and supply chain of, 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 um, of these vaccines. The only time that you really encounter a black person uh, with power is when they inject you with the vaccine. That's the only impact that they have. Um, COVID-19, I mean, it, it has, I mean, obviously affected the country like the rest of the world. But now what's um, causing a lot of unrest that's happening now uh, also is, is partially due uh, to the response, to the government's response to the, to the pandemic, right? All countries in Africa, uh, we have, have been affected by, by this pandemic, COVID-19. But the response has been different. Other African countries, they, they are very much aware that their economies are um, you know, not as strong. Uh, so 
you cannot really put on a drastic lockdown uh, on economic activities like South Africa did. Because what happened here is that the government basically copied and pasted the European model of responding to the coronavirus and, and, and you know, locked down people, hard lockdown, but without giving people any form of, of um, substantial stimulus so that people continue to access the basic things that they could prior to, to the lockdown. Now, people have lost jobs, people have, their businesses have closed, some won't even open, these people I know personally that have been uh, affected, they've, they've had to shut down businesses, startup companies, you know, people have lost their jobs. So now, I mean, by human nature, human nature is all about survival. And, and there's basically no sane person that's going to stay in-house because you locked down by the government um, and, and, and expect that, you know, uh, when, the, when the pandemic is over, then you, your life will get back to normal. People will break down those laws. That's why now we've seen lots of looting that was happening in the shops. It's something that's bad, but primary driver for that is people. It's a form of communication, like you said looting on its own and violence is a form of communication now when someone is looting um uh, something from the the shelves in the supermarket they're communicating something that person is hungry i saw a video of, of of an old woman probably in her 70s she was captured on video getting medication she was looting medication from a pharmacy it tells you a story that the government has failed to provide for the people uh, for years, the people have tried to, you know, make a living on their own accords, self-sustaining. But then um, now if you lock them down, you leave the people with no option but to respond in, in, in ways that um, uh, otherwise would not be normal at any, you know, given time. But then if you, you analyze the, the genesis of events, then you realize that, I mean, it's not a good thing, but these people are justified in a way in acting the way that they've done. What has the government done for the people? You cannot lock me down for a month or so, and then you do not give me any form of stimulus that, you know, I can, um, so that I can continue to survive and provide for my family and so forth. So the government's response to the pandemic, it's, it's just been uh, very bad. Copy and paste model, it doesn't work. Europe is a developed economy, like we know, and the US is more developed than, than Africa. So your response, the government's response should be informed by the prevailing material conditions in the country at any given time. And the government did not take that into consideration. It just copied and model that's happening internationally and, and, and put it, uh, forced it on the people. And, and, and now it's, 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 you know, it's, it's, um, it's exploding. It's, it's, the people are beginning to respond in, in, in the ways that, you know, uh, are not good, but what can what else can people do when you fail them, you know? This is the last topic, Hughes. I thank you for your time. HIV in South Africa. It, at one time, it was reported as a major problem. I believe I read one in three pregnant women had tested positive for HIV. Uh, uh, that's off a of recollection. I could be wrong. What is the genesis of that epidemic in South Africa and where does it stand now regarding HIV and AIDS? Uh, the, the HIV um, case, it's, it's, um, it's, it's still a, it's a thorny topic. It's, it's something that I'm still, um, you know, digging deep into, there is lots of literature available on it, you know, but obviously the question is um, primarily HIV, it's, it's sexually transmitted. And, and then we have to ask questions, why was this um, a disease so widespread in Africa? Is, is Africa the only continent that's got people that are engaging in sexual activities? I don't think so. <laughs> so, you know, there is Come some on, story man, there. bring it on. Bring it, <laughs> bring it home for me. Come on. Let's do it. I threw you a softball pitch. Get it out the park for me, please. Be going out with a bag. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there's, there, there's some serious story there. There's some serious big story there that needs some unpacking. But then um, 
looking at South Africa and, and the widespread um, the infection rate that happened at that particular time, remember, there was a drug that was developed some, by some international companies, the antiretroviral drug, which uh, reduces uh, transmission, or people that have or already infected, actually they, 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 they can take that um, drug because it can sustain them for longer. That's what they're doing now, and it's, it, it's working. I don't know about the side effects, but it's working. At least it's sustaining life for that, uh, uh, you know, for compared to the period when um, the government did not allow. At that time, Tabombege was the president. He, he believed, one of actually the health minister believed that um, people should just eat garlic, you know, you mustn't take uh, uh, any, any vaccine. I mean, there's a justification for that if you read deeper and scientifically about the benefits of that, you know. But then um, what was happening is people were dying in big numbers. That's a fact, right? They were dying in big numbers. And we had this President Tabombegi who was very much in denial about the existence of HIV. He, he was more interested in putting himself out there as a scholar, as, a, as, a, as someone who, you know, who's um, a great thinker at the expense of the lives that were getting lost in South Africa. So that's why we had all the huge numbers of people that passed on were precisely because of the government's response and attitude at that time. And the attitude of the government for the time was that uh, there is no need for, for, for people to check ARVs. Um, you know, people must just use preventative me measures. But I mean, people are already infected with dying in, in numbers. So sometimes some situations are not, it's not always ideal. You know, it, no drug comes highly recommended, but a situation that's prevailing at the moment, you know, if there is enough justification uh, for that drug to be taken, then, um, you know, if it saves lives, if, if, if there is empirical evidence, you know, uh, enough studies have been done um, on the development of the particular drug or vaccine, um, and there is empirical evidence that it, it definitely works. This is how it's going to protect the human body. This is how it's going to sustain life. And then if that is a need, then it needs to happen. The government of the day was very, very so anti-HIV. It was almost a denial and, and it cost lots of lives. You know, it's, it's some people call it a genocide. It's, I would agree with them. Um, but then I uh, think on some other day, we will have to look at HIV and AIDS as a, as a pandemic and why it was or has been so widespread in Africa and Africa alone more than any other region of the world. Guguletu Hughes, thank you so much for your time. This was a pleasure and um, I'm gonna make sure to put this on the homepage. This isn't going behind the paywall. I want as many people to see this as possible. And um, please share it, man. And keep up the good work. I think you got politics in your future, man. I do. And I say that in the most complimentary manner. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much for having me, Curtis. All right. Good All night. Right. Okay. Thank you.